An illustrious group of Rosh Yeshiva have traveled to Eretz Yisrael to discuss the Shidduch crisis with none other than Rav Moshe Hillel Hirsch Shlita. And if the reports are accurate, we're going to break this down. We may see some very big, dramatic changes coming to the American Yeshiva system. That story is coming up. Lakewood Rabbanim have banned AI. A Kol Koire has been released signed by about 25 Rosh Yeshiva and Rabbanim in Lakewood, and th- that includes the entire leadership of BMG, and this called Kairi bans chat GPT and other AI tools and AI bots, and this Kalkaire unequivocally says that it is usher to use AI chatbots due to the danger that they pose. Now the question is why? Why are the Rabbanim so concerned about AI specifically, what are the dangers? What is the threat? I will explain my perspective on this, my take coming up. My name is Yaakov M. Welcome to the Yaakov M. Show on the VIN News Podcast. Send me an email, josh at vinnews.com, josh at vinnews.com. And let me just say this, because I sometimes see people questioning G'daylem, and I sometimes see people cross the line be a little bit too skeptical. It's There's no problem with questioning. In fact, it is very prudent to question why. Why are they doing this? What is the reasoning behind it? Let me understand it. You can ask contradictions, sometimes apparent contradictions, where one second, why did they say this one day and then say this the next day? And then, of course, we have to resolve those things. I have no problem with that, except when the skepticism gets out of hand, or any skepticism for that matter, and you start questioning, wait a second, is this legitimate? You start questioning the legitimacy or discrediting or delegitimizing the opinions of the G'daylem. And like I said, I have no problem. And look, there are times when Rabbanim have a machlekes with each other and have disagreements with each other, even sometimes about very serious matters. So it's not automatic that one direction is the correct direction and the MS. I understand that. We all understand that. But that's not the issue. The issue is a healthy skepticism is unhealthy, okay? It, it, you want to ask questions, you want to get a better understanding, then fine. But the approach has to be that if the G'daylem are saying something, if, and I don't mean, it doesn't mean that every single Rav has Lysusser on him just because he happens to have smicha. You know, when we, we, want, we can debate the parameters of, okay, well, this person is qualified, this person is not as qualified, just because they have a beard and have smicha, does that mean that now I automatically have to listen? That's not the question, and I'm not going there, and I'm not even getting into that right now. I have a whole different point to, to make, which is that there are people we all accept as Gedolim, as the big Rosh Yeshiva in America, the big Paiskim, the big Tamid Chachamim, and when one of them says something, then we have an obligation to respect what they're saying. When 20 of them or 15 of them or 10 of them sign a kol kaire and feel the need, feel that something, a matter is so serious that and so relevant and so impactful to our lives and sometimes so dangerous that they feel the need to issue a kol kaire, then our response is, listen, these people have a much better understanding than we do. So I do not like, now does that mean we need to understand everything? We don't need to understand everything. We can accept it, we can respect it, we can ask questions, and sometimes we don't get the answer that we want. That's fine. But we have to take it seriously, and especially if they say, this is dangerous and you need to avoid this. Who are we to say, oh, I don't really see the dangers. Oh, there are so many things that are out there that are more dangerous. And in that sense, so then that applies to both the topics we're discussing today, the Shidduch crisis and what a possible solution might be to the Shidduch crisis and the possible causes, which there is not even unanimous agreement on what the causes are of the Shidduch crisis in America, and the issues with AI and with ChatGPT. And I'll be honest, ChatGPT, when I first saw this called Kairi, like I said, the entire Rosh Yeshiva leadership of BMG, uh, basically every big rub in Lakewood, I believe, is signed on this thing, over 20 signatures. And they're saying AI uh, AI and ChatGPT 
are extremely dangerous. I'll read you some of the uh, excerpts here, some of the actual quotes from the Kalkaire and their issues are Hashkafa, etc. We'll, we'll get to that. And my first reaction was, why this? There are so many things. There's social media. There's TikTok. There's Internet in general. There's kosher phones, smartphones. There's so much going on in Kalisrael, so much technology. What is it about this? And I said, there's got to be more to this because I was missing it. And I asked some people, what do you think? Why AI? What could be so bad? And I'll be honest, some of the people I asked were skeptical. And at first I said, maybe I should be skeptical too. And the more I thought about it, I said, wait a second. I see now. I thought more about it. There are major serious dangers about AI, perhaps more than any other technology. Again, it's impossible to compare because so many things out there, kosher, uh, non-kosher phones, I should say, smartphones. Uh, I don't know what I said before, but I'm saying f- smartphones that are not filtered or not kosher or that have a browser, YouTube, TikTok. There's just so much technology out there. It's just endless. And I'm not even, I, I don't even think WhatsApp is a good thing. Everybody at this point, I feel like a lot of people have WhatsApp. And I'm not sure that WhatsApp is a good thing, by the way. And I, I have it and I use it. But that doesn't mean that it's a good thing. So, uh, you know, what, what is it about AI? I'm going to try to explain. But first, as I said, a delegation of Illustrious Rosh Yeshiva, missing with Moshe Hillel Hirsch, the four Rosh Yeshiva that were named in this report are Rav Matal Dick, Rav Shlomovitz, Rav Yehuda Svei, and the Novominska Rebbe. And according to the report, the question on the table for Rav Moshe Hillel Hirsch is, should they knock out a year of Yeshiva? Now, I want to give a disclaimer. I don't know, for I do not have first-hand knowledge, and uh, I don't know if this is accurate, so I'm just going to read you the report. I'll tell you the source of the report because it's pretty public. It was in a, a website called Lakewood Alerts, and uh, they went into more detail about this than other. There are other websites that mentioned this trip and said that they want to discuss the Shiddah crisis with the Mashiach, but this is the only one that went to this level of detail that I'm going to mention here. So is it accurate? I cannot vouch for its accuracy. I can only tell you the report, and I can explain. It happens to make a lot of sense to me, and I can explain why, but I cannot actually tell you this is accurate. But essentially, they want to knock out a year of yeshiva in, in the American system, which means they'll basically restructure the yeshiva system so that boys entering the dating pool will be one year younger. Boys will enter the dating pool one year younger in general, you know, one year earlier. And look, that doesn't mean that every boy, obviously, they're not going to force boys to date. So if a boy decides, listen, I'm done with 30-year-based marriage, I'm back from Eretz Yisrael, it's fourth year, starting fourth year, I want to go to BMG, I want to stay in Eretz Yisrael, they're not going to push boys to that level, I don't think. It's, it's that if a boy is ready, why should a bucher have to wait an extra year and his friends are not even coming to America, you know, going to Israel or coming to America, whatever, and he's he's ready. He wants to date. So why stop him from dating? Allow the bachrim a year early. That's the essential. That's the reason. Now, why is it going to help? That we'll get into the nitty-gritty of the shit of crisis. And uh, then the other side is, okay, well, what's the downside? Well, whenever you're restructuring a system that's been in place for many decades— Obviously, you know, that's a question. Obviously, that's something that you have to ask yourself. Well, what could the potential pitfalls be? We'll get to that coming up. But that's the idea here. Um, knock out either 12th grade. The way I read the story, either knock out 12th grade or knock out fourth year based medrash. There, there was a mention about knocking out, I guess, eighth grade. So I'm not sure if that's on the table. Maybe they want to knock out two grades. That I don't know. But let's start with one, which would be knocking out 12th grade. By the way, 12th grade. You know, I think that's the easiest to part with because in terms of graduating high school, and I understand Masifta, some some Masiftas have English, secular studies, some don't. So I get that. But either way, it probably is not that difficult to arrange graduating after 11th grade. In fact, I think there are yeshivas that already do this. And then basically 12th grade is equivalent to first year based medrash. So I don't really think that would like kind of rock the boat too too heavily. But the goal here is 
to solve the Shidduch crisis because then boys would start dating younger. Now, why would that help solve the Shidduch crisis? There are a lot of misconceptions about this. A lot of people seem to misconstrue, don't understand, think something very different than the reality. So, number one, this is a ringing endorsement of the eight, what they call the age gap theory. Okay, the age gap. So I'm going to explain right now. The age gap theory essentially says that the reason that there's a Shidduch crisis is because there are more boys than girls. Why are there more boys than girls? Because of the population growth. So again, I don't want to get too heavy into the weeds, but let me just spend a minute on this because I think a lot of people don't understand this. The idea is that boys tend to date early, uh, uh, later than girls. Bo- boys tend to start dating at, an early, at a later date than girls. So a boy will start dating at age 22. A girl will start dating at age 19 or 20. If a boy is in a real rush, he'll, a buck, he'll start to date at age 21. But the girl is starting, like I said, 19, 20, sometimes 18. Again, talking about Litvisha boys and girls in America. So why would that lead to a shit of crisis? Well, if you assume, and this is important, but if you assume the shit of crisis is that there are more Bo- girls than boys, right? If you assume the shit of crisis is that there are girls out there who are just not getting married because there just simply are not enough boys to go around, and there are more girls than boys, if that's the crisis, because not everybody agrees that's the crisis, and I'll explain, but if that's the crisis, then why is that? Why would there be more? Now, on average, maybe there's a few girls born than boys every year, but it's minuscule, the amount of girls born more than boys statistically. So let's assume the pool is 50-50. It's probably not, but it's close. If the pool is 50-50... So why would it be that there's, let's say, 75 boys dating 100 girls? And it's like musical chairs, and it's like there's only going to be, in any given pool, there's only going to be enough boys to marry 75%, 80% of the girls, whatever it is. That's not an accurate number. These numbers are not accurate. It's more like 90 or 92% or 88% probably, you know, and and, and the statistics are—we don't have good data on this. I want to be clear. So that's the question. Why would there be more girls than boys so the age gap theory tells you, well, it's like this. There's always population growth in the firm world because two, a, 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 a couple of, of two, a man and a woman, a father and a mother, tend to have more children than they themselves. So a father and a mother, if they have two children, then they're replacing themselves. Three children is more. Four children is more. There's population growth, right? So it's not exact science, but the idea being that the next generation, and we see this happening, Baruch Hashem, it's a, it's a wonderful thing, that there's population growth in the firm community. So a fa- a, a two parents can have five kids, six kids, seven kids or more. Not, not everybody, obviously. So then the idea becomes that there are more people in the next generation. So in other words, if in 1990 there were 10,000 people in the, let's call it, yeshiva community, so in the year 2000 there's going to be 12,000, right? It's going to go up by a couple of thousand. Again, I'm just making up random numbers, but that's the idea is population growth 10,000 people this year are going to turn into 11,000 people next year, 12,000 people the year after, something like that. So if that's true, then if you do the math, there are more girls in the dating pool than boys because the amount of 23-year-olds, the amount of boys that are born, we're in 2023, the amount of boys that were born in the year 2000 who are going to be dating this year is not equal. It's equal to the amount of girls, roughly equal to the amount of girls that were born in 2000, but it's fewer than the amount of girls born in 2002. Okay, so the amount of girls born in 2002 are more than the amount of boys born in 2000. But right now, look at the dating pool, 23-year-old boys dating 21- and 20-year-old girls. So there are more girls in the mix than boys because there's population growth. So essentially, in a nutshell, that is the age gap theory. There are more boys, more girls dating than boys because you have older boys dating younger girls. And there are more girls in the pool in the younger pool than there are in the older pool. There are more boys in the, old, in the younger pool than the older pool, too, but that's not relevant. Older boys dating younger girls. 
Hope that part's clear. I know it confuses a lot of people, but that's the age gap theory. If that's true, how do you solve the problem? Very simple. You solve the problem by having boys and girls date at the same age, because then you're going to have roughly the same amount of boys dating the same amount of girls because they're the same age. So there's roughly the same amount, equal amount of boys and girls. That's the solution. And that's why having boys date younger would be a problem. Now, having girls date older, why do you have girls date older? That's extremely difficult logistically. How are you going to force girls to wait if they don't want to wait? So I never understood that option. People mentioned that solution, have girls date older, start dating at an older age, but because uh, you're dealing with individuals. This girl says, well, I don't want to. Well, but you have to. No, you don't have to. She doesn't have to. But as far as boys go, you can't force them. But if if everything is bumped up, you knock out 12th grade and they go to Eretz a year earlier, come home a year earlier, they start dating a year earlier because a lot of them are going to be ready to do so. Now, there might be downsides with this, but that's the idea. The idea is that if you have boys and girls dating the same age, that would solve the shit of crisis if the age gap theory is correct. So this is a ringing. The fact that they're considering the solution shows they believe in the age gap theory, probably. Maybe not. Maybe they just think it's a possibility. But you know what? Maybe there's nothing to lose. Maybe they think boys dating younger in general is not a terrible idea. And and the halacha, we have to analyze the halachic aspect in a, in a little bit later. Uh, you know, just uh, give you, I'm not, obviously I'm not a Pisic, but I'm just going to give you what I think the different studs are. But uh, that's the idea, the age gap theory. Now, I say if you believe in the age gap theory, because there are those who believe that most girls end up getting married. And the, the, we, we really have a lack of data about this. People are collecting data now. There was a famous study done, but there are those who question its accuracy. But um, there are those who believe that there, the shit, there is a shit of crisis, but it's not that girls don't end up dating, don't end up getting married. Girls end up getting married. Boys end up getting married. Girls end up getting married roughly in the same numbers. So then why does it seem to us that there are a lot of girls out there who are not married or who are waiting or waiting for a long time? It could be that they don't get married for a long time. Uh, and, but there really are enough boys for the girls, enough girls for the boys. And what you do with the age gap theory, according to this, is a conversation for a different day. But if that's true, if there really are enough boys to go around and girls end up getting married uh, eventually, then if there's a crisis, the crisis is more like, why does it take them so long? Certain girls have to wait until the 28, 30, 32, 35 years old. They should be marrying younger because they're the boy's out there. If, they, if a girl gets married to 35 to a 35-year-old boy or even a 33-year-old boy, that means he was out there. Why did it take them so long to find each other? So there is that theory. But let's go right now with the age gap theory. Let's assume that that's correct. So the Rosh Yeshiva, let me read you here, are considering eliminating one year of high school or base medrash, thereby having Bakram by default enter Shadduchim at a younger age. Again, that'll be the trend. And that would decrease the age gap. Bechedrei um, Haredim quoted an American yeshiva administrator. Quote, we have a real problem and we have to solve it. Rosh Yeshiva held meetings a number of times to discuss the issue, but nothing has really succeeded yet in solving the problem. Rosh Yeshiva decided the phenomenon of learning at a later age in Eretz Yisrael needs to end, but they don't want to take responsibility alone for such a, an impactful question. Therefore, a decision was made. A number of leading Rosh Yeshiva go to Eretz Yisrael and consult with Rav Agayin, Rav Moshe Hillel Shlita. Now, Rav Moshe Hillel, of course, is an American so he certainly understands a lot. In fact, I believe he learned in Lakewood once upon a time, so he certainly understands a lot about the American system. Like I said, I want to debunk the misconceptions, but I want to just, again, reiterate. Some people, they dismiss these ideas, and they don't like these ideas, or they mavaza these ideas. So here's what I say, okay? If you hear the G'daylem, get together for this kind of thing, and try to solve it, and have a solution in mind, okay? If you find yourself confused or baffled, it's not them. It's you, okay? It's you, not them, that has the problem. Very simple. Um, so, like I said, now, the age gap theory, there are some people who say, listen, how are we going to make such dramatic changes without having the data? 
and I gave this a lot of thought. And, I, and like I said, Ravaron Labiansky wants data. You know, they, they do want nowadays they do have the sophistication to gather an incredible amount of data. So we could we could figure this out. In other words, there's a debate: is the age gap theory correct or not? You would think if we gather enough data, compile enough data, we could determine by numbers whether the age gap theory is correct or not. I don't know. Now, the question is, can you make such a dramatic move like knocking out a year of yeshiva without that? I have no idea. That's way, way above my pegging. That's what I ask Michelle Hirsch, but it's a fascinating question. On the one hand, what's the downside of changing the system? You know, boys are going to date a year earlier. Okay, some people say, well, boys are not going to be ready. They're not going to be ready to date because they're too young. Others say, well, look at, look at other communities. In the Israeli community, boys are already much younger. So maybe it's just a cultural thing. We're not ready because boys don't mentally get ready to get married until they need to. But here they're going to start dating a year earlier, so they they will adjust. They're going to adapt. Maybe not the first round of daters dating a year younger, but they'll adapt. They'll adjust. And after four or five years, then suddenly the boys, just like a 22-year-old, 23-year-old boy gets ready to get married, or some are not. I was not, you know, when I got married. But, uh, you know, you manage. Or maybe boys will... You know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. 23-year-old boys figure it out. 21-year-old boys will figure it out. That's, the, those, that's like, those are two sides of the equation over there. And then on top of that, what's really the downside? What's the downside? Well, people say, well, maybe financially there'll be issues. So that could be a downside because if they get married a year earlier, that means they have to start supporting their wife a year earlier. Eventually, does that year get low? People say, all right, well, they'll make up the year learning. They'll learn after they get married. Okay, but in other words, a boy waits till he's 22. And these are old Shilas. I mean, the, the Gemara in Kedushin famously really discusses a lot of these issues, you know, the question really is what the maskana is, you know, what, what exactly, how we should be knowing, practically speaking, Lamaisa. So pretty amazing that, you know, if, if, if a boy gets married at 22 and let's say they have enough finances to, for him to learn for five years, well, if he gets married at 21, what's going to happen to the finances? You would think that he's going to have to get, you know, learn for five years post-marriage. Maybe not. Maybe there's a way the family can support. I don't know. But certainly all these issues are very, very connected. And then the other question, which to me is one of the biggest questions is, is a boy mechiv to get married? And again, I'm definitely not getting into the halacha, the practical halacha, but it does seem that 20 years old, halachically speaking, 20 years old is already, because there's a mitzvah to get married, there's an obligation, there's a chiv to get married, at least on the man, at least on the boy. Maybe, or maybe not on the girl side, but at least on the boy side, there's a chiv to get married. So like, what's the heter? You know, there's an argument that's made that like, if a boy wants to get married at age 20, are you even allowed to stop him and tell him, no, you should learn in yeshiva? And again, I'm not getting into the halacha, but I do believe that this is at least an issue. So, Maybe this will be even better. Forget it. I mean, it was putting aside the shit of crisis. Maybe this will just even be better from a halakhic perspective because maybe a boy should be dating at a younger age halakhically. Now, as far as the, getting back to the data for a moment, you know, like I said, do we need data to make this kind of, I don't know because I, 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 I've always thought, yeah, we need data. How can you make such a big move, big decision without the data? But then, uh, you know, my wife kind of reminded me, there are takanas derabanan, xeris derabanan that happened in order to solve problems. And I don't know that there are bun on that they actually gathered and compiled data. It could just be that they saw a trend and they felt, listen, people feel this is an issue. So that's enough. That's enough of a concern. Again, probably it depends what the downside is. But like, you know, for one example, maybe maybe that was out to solve a, a certain issue. Right? That a person can't have more than one wife. Uh, and what about tikkun oilam? There are abundant metakana tikkun oilam, right? There are abundant metakana that we cannot overpay. Again, I'm not poskining here, but generally... Mishnah Gittin says you can't overpay if somebody, Rahmanatana Shavui, if somebody's Pidyan Shvuyim, somebody is uh, is held captive and they want to uh, charge uh, uh, a very, very exorbitant ransom. So it's not so simple to pay an exorbitant ransom because then that's going to encourage them 
to kidnap more people. So the Rabbana made it to Kanam They felt, obviously, that this was an issue, and this was the solution to the issue. So, again, did they have actual hard numbers or data, or they just felt... Now, I know you can't compare one situation to the other. could be that those situations are much more black and white. This situation is much, much harder to really kind of analyze the Shidduch crisis. But maybe, maybe there's a concept of... Um, you know, making these types of changes and the Rabbanon enacting certain moves and decisions based on what they perceive to be correct, even if they're lacking data. Very interesting question. Uh, next question, are there going to be strong bias issues? Uh, another question, is this is this crisis considered pikuach nefesh? I believe I've heard people say, in other words, crisis for the girls, assuming that there are girls out there who don't get married or don't get married till they're much, much older. Rahman al is that considered pikuach nefesh for them because it alters their lives in so many ways. So uh, th- these are really the questions. Like I said earlier, you know, shouldn't boys be marrying earlier anyway, halakhically, in which case this is kind of n- not such a risky move, or maybe it is a risky move because of all the other issues that I mentioned. So that's the bottom line. That's really the bottom line is I think that these are the questions that if, if I'm if I'm correct and if the reports are correct, then this is what they're going to discuss with Rav Moshe Hill Hirsch, and it is a very fascinating discussion. And one final point, then we'll get to AI, is I've wondered this for quite for the longest time. Why can't they change the system around and have girls say yes to the boy instead of boys saying yes to the girl? And you'll tell me, well, what does this exactly solve? One thing that it solves is the Agmas Nefesh, because you'll tell me, listen, if it's a numbers game, then it's a numbers game. So boys, girls, who who cares who gives the yes, right? Because right now, typically, I'm not saying everybody, typically the way the system works is they go to the boys' side, they read a shidduch, they tell them about a girl, tell the, the, the parents about a certain girl— and um, they look into the girl, then the boy says yes, or says no, but if the boy says yes, or says not now, but if the boy says yes, then they go to the girl's side. And meanwhile, the girls are sitting there waiting by the phone, there are all sorts of stories about how some girls sit there for months. I, I've heard of personally a girl who, uh, she she literally, her, her parents just were not, they had a bunch of boys before her, and they were just not kind of go-getters, they weren't out there, so they didn't really, they weren't aggressive, and she just waited and waited. Eventually she took matters into her own hands, and she managed to hook up with the right people, but, you know, she kind of, her parents really did not realize what what it took to, to get her dates. So uh, these very sad stories about girls sitting by the phone. What about boys sitting by the phone? Why can't boys be the ones sitting by the phone? So the way that would work, at the very least, it would remove a lot of Agmas Nevish. Maybe it would even impact the Shiva crisis. Maybe. But at the very least, the Agmas Nevish on the girls' side, where they're sitting there passively waiting, waiting for the phone to ring, that's a very sad scenario. So it, what would happen is, what would if all the Shadchanim or the big Shadchanim decide, oh, we're going to change the rules. We're going to go to the girl, tell her boys' names. The girl's going to say yes. Then we go to the boy. And the boy's the one sitting around. So you'll tell me, well, aren't we just flipping the issue? I, I, I don't know. I, I suspect that boys would have a much easier time than that with girls. But I understand. Maybe you'll tell me, listen, it doesn't really solve anything. Okay, well, what's the downside? Because I think a lot of girls, families with girls would tell you, oh, it would solve a lot for us. It would make our lives much, much, much simpler. And I don't understand why nobody has raised this as at least an option. All right, let's get to AI. So here's what I have to say about AI. Okay, on the one hand, social media, TikTok videos, inappropriate things. There's so much immorality out there. There's so many, so many things. AI, we know about AI, chat GPT. I'm not an expert, but, you know, you ask it questions. Can you tell me, uh, you know, write up an essay about uh, President George Washington and his uh, military strategies. You know, write up an essay about, I don't know, the planet uh, Jupiter or Neptune. I would say I would say Pluto, but I think Pluto is no longer a planet, right? Or whatever, right? You know, t- tell me everything I ever wanted to know about, I don't know what, uh, cooking, uh, cooking steak 
or whatever. So you can ask ChatGPT all sorts of things. You can ask AI all sorts of things, and it'll give you answers. Why is that so dangerous? So first, I want to read you here some uh, just some quotes from the. Uh, let's see. They they. Uh, I'll read you an English translation. Then I'll read you some of the Hebrew here. Um, the 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 people who signed the Kolkari said. And by the way, Hasidish Rebbe's put out a Kolkari about AI a few weeks ago, and now, like I said, the the Lakewood Rosh Hashiva have done the same thing. They said it has the ability to potential to to ingrain the wrong Hashkafas in people, as well as outright Kfira, Tayevas, other harmful content. And they say people who use it open the door to being exposed to a ver- veritable minefield of toxic perspectives and Hashkafas. They say it is us to connect with and use artificial intelligence chats, even for necessary use, Kavachimer for Divrei Torah. And they say if you need it for business, they do not have a solution right now. They hope in the future there'll be some kind of business solution. I did read somewhere that I think somebody from is trying to come out with a from version of chat GPT. All right, let me read you some of the Hebrew over here. Um, it has a, a very, very powerful like almost like an addictive, a, 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 a quality that it draws you in almost addictively. Um, and it takes a person out of his human humanity, it takes a person out of his human element. So somebody who does start using it, he gets trapped, and he gets deeper and deeper embedded into the trap. So, um, what they say is fascinating. They say, and then they say, and they say it's on the, it's incumbent on the parents and to make sure that their kids don't use it. But there was one line here which really struck me. I'm sitting there and I, I was skeptical. I confess I was skeptical and I regret now being skeptical. And one line that strikes me is they say, they say, we think that it's possible that a lot of people are not going to realize how dangerous this is. But, Trust us, we know how dangerous this is. It's been shown to us how dangerous this is. And I said to myself, wait, wait a second. They're literally telling us that, you know, you may not get this, but trust us, we get it. And that really got me thinking, okay, so I'm sitting here saying, scratch my head, well, why is this so bad? And they're telling me, you know what, we know you're going to say that. We know it's going to be your reaction. I, I don't remember ever seeing this on a cold before, but you know what? We're telling you it's that bad. And then I thought, so I was puzzled. And then I thought about it and I realized, oh, wait a second. This thing is so dangerous, so crazy, crazy dangerous. And, and again, they don't need my haskama. But here's why I realized that they're absolutely correct and they nailed it. Because at my age, I'm, I don't know if I'm getting sucked into AI or not. Maybe I am, maybe not. I don't know. My, and it's not just AI, by the way. It's a broader issue. It's Google in general. It's social media. It's we're in an information age. We're so super saturated with information. There's information everywhere, everywhere we turn. And we have no idea what to believe. You read a news story. Is it real news? Is it fake news? You read so many things all day long. Is this guy reliable? Is this guy a whack job? Do we believe? Do we not? There's just so many things out there. We have no idea what to believe and what not to. Well, it turns out, so at my age, I think that I'm extreme. I think in general I'm a skeptic, and I'm just quite skeptical. But you know how many 20-year-olds, 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds, millennials, post-millennials, 15-year-olds, they see it online, they believe it. Or they assume it's true unless proven otherwise. Or they look at ChatGPT, and it's like, okay, let me ask ChatGPT a Shiloh, right? There's a shirum going on now. Uh, people are giving shirum. Can you rely on AI to Paskin a Shiloh? I'm not getting into it. Uh, it surprises me, such a conversation, but I'm not getting into it because what do I know? But the fact that that is even a discussion, that tells you how influential AI is because they're, they're a rabbin giving sheer, hey, maybe I can ask a Shiloh to AI. Again, maybe they're coming out not, 
but they're even like raising it, it, it's a discussion okay that's pretty pretty i don't know uh, fright frightening uh, is that too strong a word it's eye popping it's concerning i don't know it's interesting can we say it's interesting so that's where i'm at and i said to myself i know my kids and i know 15 year olds 18 year olds 20 year olds 10 year olds they they, they they look at ai oh wow this is going to answer my questions they want to know you know they want to know about science they want to know about math they want to know whatever they want to have fun with it and then they want to know about tyra and it's like there's a certain mental laziness, and I'm not, not being critical right now. There's a certain mental laziness. All right, you know what? I could call a rub and ask a shy. I can go and I can look it up. I'll just ask the internet, right? And like I said, it's not just ChatGPT, but that is the quintessential uh, place on the internet where you can just ask anything anytime, and wow, I'm going to get my answer. And it seems so accurate, and it seems to know so much. There are so many mistakes. I've, I've used AI a couple of times. I mean, so many mistakes. It's, just, it's just loaded with mistakes, but it's not even about mistakes. There are nuances here. It comes to Hashkafa. You know, you're going to start asking it Ashkafic Shilas, like very, very fundamental Shilas, even for fun. And then you're going to start reading it. And this happened to me. Someone showed me, okay, it starts saying this Tvar Torah, that Tvar Torah, and it kind of like makes sense. And it's terrifying because it it has no idea. And its Ashkafas could be way off. And it's it, it's it's even worse because it seems right and it's very smart. And it doesn't tell you its sources, but it has a gazillion sources. It's so dangerous. AI is so incredibly dangerous. I totally get this, especially for the younger generation, but for everybody. It's so easy. First of all, it's very easily accessible. Why call the Rav? I could just ask AI. AI never yells at me or intimidates me or scares me. I'm not saying the Rav does, but I'm just saying. And I don't have to put in much effort. It's just right here. It's my buddy. It's my friend. And oh, by the way, it knows everything. And oh, by the way, you know, I'm kind of socially anxious. So I don't want to go and ask the Rav. And I don't, it doesn't take effort. It's right here on my device, on my this, on my that. And oh, wow. AI knows so much more than the Rav. And AI is always so clear. And it seems that if I talk to the Rav, maybe I don't, maybe I don't fully understand what he's saying. And they believe it. They believe it, and things seep into their head. Oh, maybe this is okay. Maybe that's okay. It's like the Haskalah on steroids, uh, okay? That's how I'm looking at this. I don't know how clear I'm being here, but it's extremely, it, it just distorts things. There's so much sheker. It doesn't distinguish. There's no nuance. It, it's not human. It's bad. It's so, 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 so bad. And the biggest Akana is because people get swept up, and it's addictive, and they think, oh, this is right, or this is so easy. Oh, this is so clear. Oh, it's so smart. And they get, it's so easy to convince yourself, okay, this is going to be my source for halacha, hashkafa, and who knows what other Torah, and who knows what other things, shalom bias issues, family issues, chinuch issues. I mean, it's an endless list. All right, that's going to do it. Very interesting one today. A little bit of a different type of show than usual. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope it was enlightening and uh, maybe a little entertaining. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.